Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad that you have joined us. If you are paying any attention to the news and the political cycle right now, you have heard the analysts talk about the important role of suburban women in state and national elections. And this year, that is especially true. But who is this mythical American female suburban voter? Is it a soccer mom? Is it a housewife? Is it a business owner, a social justice activist? And what race is that woman? That's a question that I think doesn't get asked a whole lot out in public. That's what we want to spend today's show exploring, though, is the role of suburban women of all demographics in the 2020 election and the diversity within that voting bloc that's far too often treated as a monolith. Joining us to kick things off is someone who's been thinking a lot about the ways that Republican Party activism is missing opportunities to connect with female voters. Sarah Chamberlain is president and CEO of the Main Street Partnership, which supports Republicans in Congress, and she's founder of the Women to Women Conversations Tour. She also wrote an op-ed earlier this summer in the Washington Post titled, On Every Level, the GOP Has a Problem with Women. Sarah, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Thrilled to be here. Yeah. So give us a sense of that statement, that headline, on every level, the GOP has a problem with women. When you say that, what do you mean? Unfortunately, the GOP has just really turned off women. Um, You saw it in 18, you saw it in 19, where there were elections. They're just tired of um, the rhetoric. They're tired of the controversies. And most importantly, they join with the First Lady and being tired of the president's tweeting. And to them, which was kind of a, a shock to the members of Congress, they view Donald Trump as their boss, as the GOP's boss. Hmm. So that's a problem. Um, what we're working on is trying to get them, you know, Main Street has never done presidential, so we don't do it now, but try to get them to make sure they, they still vote Republican down ticket. Hmm. That is what we're trying to do. It's not an easy job, um, but we're dedicated to it and, and working our best to, to convince them to, to ticket split. So when you say that the GOP has a problem at every level, uh, and you you bifurcate it there. Uh, you talk about the problem at the national level, but then talk about how at the local level you think there's a different choice to be made. Explain what you think that disconnect is. Is this a problem with Donald Trump and his candidacy and then the first four years of uh, of his, his presidency? Uh, or is this a, a, a problem at the national level that dates before Donald Trump, but then does not infect, from your point of view, at the local level? So it, it comes, the problems come when Donald Trump was elected. Um, they liked him. They thought it'd be interesting. And frankly, they like the GOP policies. They like the tax cuts. They like some of the other things he did, roll back some of the restrictions so the businesses could grow. They liked the economy, obviously, prior, prior to COVID. They don't care for the man. Um, I think Donald Trump knows that. I think uh, his daughter Ivanka, when she introduced him at the um, at the convention, kind of hit on that. 
and and they've just gotten kind of tired of the rhetoric and the fighting. And you see that with some of the um, some of our federal officials as well in the House. I mean, I wrote that based on a gentleman by the name of Matt Gates and uh, what happened in Florida. He's from Florida. What happened in a closed door session to Liz Cheney? who's the highest-ranking woman in the House of Representatives on the GOP side. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and he questioned her, which he has every right to do that. I, I do want to add that in private, but then it, it blew out into the public. And then about the same day, you had um, the situation with, um, you know, the, the response to the Congressman Yoho to AOC. I didn't witness that. I have no idea if that is true, but certainly that caused a huge controversy. So it's not the GOP policies, it's some of the leaders that they see that, that they don't care for their rhetoric hmm. and the way that they talk. And what was, the, what in in your estimation, I mean, if we go back to 2016 and you say that uh, women were attracted to the policies that Donald Trump was, was talking about but and willing to take a gamble, what was the reason for taking that gamble given that this was not a person who sort of surprised anybody with the things that he did or said after he was elected. I mean, he had a really long history of disparaging women. Uh, This is a guy who's been married to many different women, has children by many different women. There's nothing about his history that suggested that he would not be uh, the person that, that, that he is. What was it about that choice in 16 that got suburban women to, to, to select Donald Trump in large numbers? So there was uh, two factors that played into that. The first factor was they knew Hillary Clinton and they didn't care for her. Um, you know, that some of them voted for Trump, not because of Trump, but because of anti-Hillary Clinton. Um, and then the second thing that really happened is they believed that, that Trump could change. And he talked about becoming, you know, leader for all of the country and and they hope that maybe now that he's a little bit older that maybe that rhetoric would would die out and he would become a little bit more to the middle um obviously by 2018 when we lost over 40 seats in the house the women realized that 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 was not going to happen um and they sent a message loud and clear to the gop you know in 18 and then again in, in 19 where they had uh where they have you know off-year elections so it's it's a definite problem. It's out there. It's not going away. I spend every week talking to a few hundred suburban women from around the country, and uh, they have some real concerns. And, and COVID is not helping, hmm. to be honest with you. That has not that has not helped the president's uh, ratings among GOP women right. in, in the suburbs. Right. Um, I'm talking with Sarah Chamberlain, president and CEO of the Main Street Partnership, which supports Republicans in Congress. She's also the founder of Women to Women Conversations Tour. We're talking about suburban women and the choice that they'll make in November as we all go and vote for president. Uh, A lot of suburban women voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Uh, The president needs them to do that again in order to win. Democrats are also, though, working pretty hard to try to get those votes and pointing out the things that the president has said and done that would suggest that perhaps he doesn't have suburban women's interests in mind. Uh, We want to hear from you this hour as well. Are you a woman who lives in the suburbs? Uh, Give us a call. Tell us how you're voting this November. Tell us what your concerns are. What are the issues that matter the most to you 
when you get to the ballot box uh, in November? And what are you looking for in a leader? And do you see it more in Donald Trump, who is the president now, or in Joe Biden, the former vice president, who now says he would like to be president and is representing the Democratic Party? Uh, give us a call at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. That's always our number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter and put comments there, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Sarah, before we get to, to listeners, um, mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about race and and this question of suburban women. When we say the phrase suburban women, I think in most people's minds, uh, what comes up is a white woman. Uh, but of course, here in Michigan, we have uh, one of the nation's greatest examples of the migration of African-American families from inner cities into other communities, into the suburbs. And so uh, suburban woman uh, means something different uh, than it than it used to. Um, what role does that play in the, the, the idea of appealing to suburban voters? And tell me as a member of uh, of the GOP, why the party isn't doing better uh, at trying to attract black women votes in the suburbs, given that uh, they have some things in common uh, with their white counterparts, at least in terms of their, their life choices. Um, what, what, what role is race playing uh, in this equation? Well, when I talk to and I meet with, when I can, I travel around the country meeting with the women. Obviously, now we, we Zoom. Um, suburban America represents all of America. It is every race, everything. You know, it's it's not the, the white woman that maybe it was in the 60s. And I think the GOP needs to understand that. Uh, the one thing that I found that was fascinating, because when I did do this in person, you know, you can go to our w2wtour.com and see the pictures. It is representative of every culture that lives in America, everything. Mm-hmm. But they have the same issues. You know, it's it's um, mental health, it's health care, it's, you know, access to capital, it's equal pay. So it's interesting. Suburban women now look very different from each other, but they really are united on their issues. And I think that's something that GLP has missed um, to realize that it, it doesn't matter, you know, what their nationality is, what they look like, what their background is. If they're in the suburbs now, they are all pretty much the same. Um, very seldom do I get surprised when I, when I pull them about what their top issues are. Mm. And, and talk about the GOP's difficulty getting black women to to even give them a second second thought. I mean, obviously, there are lots of historical reasons uh, for that to be true. The last four years and the behavior of this president, I think, uh, has turned off lots and lots of African-Americans who might have been open to the idea uh, of voting voting Republican. Um, where does that work start to, f- to fix that? It starts with the local member. Um, it's very important that the local member of Congress, um, especially if he or she is a Republican, really work, reaches out to the community. Um, I have a candidate running in the suburbs of Denver who spends a great deal of time in the African-American churches. I mean, he, he takes them seriously. He's out talking to them. He's talking about their issues. 
that is a wonderful thing to do. I have a gentleman by the name of Don Bacon in Nebraska. He is a sitting congressman. He's doing the same thing. The outreach to the communities are very important, and that's something that sometimes uh, the GOP doesn't do well. Most of the Main Street members uh, do do that well, though, um, and, and they are actively engaging with all the different cultures um, in, the, in the community that they represent. Um, but as a whole, the GOP is not focused on that, and we need to begin to focus on that. To get this House of Representatives back, it comes through the suburbs. And now the suburbs, as we've already discussed, look very different than they did probably in the 60s and 70s when, you know, my mom was a suburban woman raising her family. And, you know, we need to recognize that and reach out to them. Mm. And we can get them. I mean, they like our policies. And and we can get them to vote GOP, but it, it takes some effort. Mm. And you're right. They, they don't care for Trump, um, you know, and, and, and that's an issue that we just have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what you think about the two parties and how they are trying to appeal to suburban women in advance of the November elections, uh, especially we'd want to hear from you. If you are a woman living in the suburbs, uh, tell us what issues you're thinking about as we get ready to vote for president. Uh, Tell us what will motivate you to pull the lever for Joe Biden or Donald Trump uh, when we get to the the ballot box. Uh, Give us a sense of how you think both parties are doing trying to get your vote. Um, Let's go to Stephanie in St. Clair Shores. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, So I am a registered voter. Um, I'm a woman living in the suburbs um, in St. Clair Shores, so not too far from Detroit, actually. And um, my main concerns as a voter are reproductive rights, uh, voting rights, equality, environment, conservationism, and religious secularism. Mm-hmm. And as far as these um, concerns go, um, I have zero interest in the Republican Party mm-hmm. because they offer zero support, as, in my opinion, for any of these issues. Um, in fact, not only do they not offer the proper support, but they seem to be attacking these issues vigilantly, mm-hmm. and I could not find myself voting Republican this election or any election, to mm-hmm. be honest. Uh, so, Stephanie, I, I absolutely hear what you're saying. How how prevalent do you think your point of view on these things is in the community where you live, uh, St. Clair Shores? Is that is that something that you think other women in 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 that city in that county uh, are are thinking about, or are you somebody who maybe represents a change in the kind of of viewpoint and and population that lives in a place like St. Clair Shores? I sincerely hope that I represent um, a group of women who would represent the change. Um, I'm not sure how the majority of voters are feeling in this area. I was, I was greatly surprised by the 2016 election results for Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, in my circles um, of friends and family and um, community that I run, that I'm, that I'm a part of, um, we were shocked, shocked and devastated. So 
as far as Sinker Shores go, um, I'm relatively new to the area, only living here for um, the last five years, but I have lived in Macomb County my whole life, so mm-hmm. I, I can't say that I'm, I'm very surprised, but I am shocked and appalled that the women in this county supported Trump. Mm. Uh, Stephanie, I really appreciate uh, I really appreciate your your call and and your thoughts there, uh, Sarah Chamberlain. I'll give you a chance to react to what uh, Stephanie is saying. I don't know if you're familiar with St. Clair Shores. Uh, it's a it's a close by suburb of Detroit. It's it's part of Macomb County, which is uh, one of the one of the counties that Barack Obama won twice. Uh, but that flipped to to support Donald Trump in 2016 and was part of the reason that this state got delivered to the Republicans for the first time since 19 uh, since 1988. Uh, Stephanie is somebody who says uh, she won't vote Republican. Uh, but the question, I think, as she she points out, is how prevalent that kind of uh, view is in a in a community like that this year. Well, we're finding that Stephanie is speaking for a lot of the suburban women that. Um, they, they're not looking to vote Republican uh, this year because we're not talking about the issues that she articulated. The one thing that she did articulate around her issues that I did not mention that suburban women care a great deal about is an environment. Mm-hmm. Um, they want clean water. They want to make sure their kids are safe. Um, they're not as far as AOC's, AOC's new Green Deal, um, but there is something going on in this environment. Um, we're having, you know, off the charts heat. Um, you know, there's just a lot of things that are showing that, okay, there's something happening, whether man-made or not, they're not sure, but they want the GOP to be talking about that. And the Republican Main Street Partnership members are talking about that. We have a whole plan uh, for the environment. We are, we do believe um, that the environment's changing. We're not deniers on that. Um, you know, the GOP as a whole, I think, is starting to switch on that issue a little bit. Uh, but she's right. I mean, those are issues that suburban women care about that GOP doesn't spend a lot of time addressing. Hmm. Um, and I think that that shows in the polls as uh, we move forward. And I would be very surprised if her area, um, she said she was very disappointed it went for Trump. I would be very surprised if it did not go for Biden this time. Hmm. And I would argue that it went for Trump for the reasons I stated earlier. It's, it's, it was more of an anti-Clinton um, vote versus a, a pro-Trump vote. And this time I'm finding it more in the suburbs. If they're not voting for Trump, it's a more anti-Trump vote than it is a pro-Biden vote. Um, so that's kind of mm. interesting that the last two presidential elections are kind of like, okay, I don't want him for sure, so I'm willing to take a chance on this one. That seems to be what's, what's going on out there in the country, mm. especially in the suburbs. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Sarah Chamberlain about suburban women and how they'll vote in November. We're going to add Zach Stanton, uh, who digital editor of Political Magazine, to the conversation, and we are going to get to more of your calls. Marion Northville, Laurier, and Ann Arbor, we'll hear from you, and if you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDT. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Talking with Sarah Chamberlain, who's president and CEO of the Main Street Partnership, which supports Republicans in Congress. She's also the founder of Women to Women Conversations Tour. We're talking about suburban women and the role that they're going to play in the presidential election, which is just in a few weeks, eight weeks or so from right now. Donald Trump and Joe Biden are uh, the two people who represent the Republican and the Democratic choices in that contest. Uh, And women, suburban women in particular, uh, are an important demographic in that uh, election. They always are. But it seems this year there is an intense focus on what suburban women will do. I want to add another voice to the conversation as well. Zach Stanton is digital editor of Politico magazine. Zach, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. I yeah. should mention I'm also a native of Macomb County. So ah, there you go. There. We were just talking about uh, <laughs> Macomb County with a, a caller from St. Clair Shores uh, who said that she is absolutely not attracted to uh, the GOP uh, right now because of uh, their stance on a number of issues that are really important to her. Zach, I want to start here with you. You recently spoke with Anna Greenberg, who is a longtime Democratic pollster, about the role that suburban women voters are going to play in 2020. What was your biggest takeaway from that conversation? So all in all, speaking with her, I think the big takeaway is that the way that we've often talked about the suburbs in the past, and and you alluded to this earlier, the way that we often talk about it is that it's sort of synonymous with white. Mm -hmm. When we say suburban voters, we mean white voters, but that's not really the case anymore. You know, the suburbs aren't a monolithic block and suburban women aren't a monolith. You know, it's increasingly increasingly diverse. You have a majority of black Americans now live in the suburbs and most new immigrants now relocate to the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing is a sort of schism within the suburbs where you have, uh, I guess, a coalition of uh, sort of people of color who live in the suburbs, as well as more upwardly mobile uh, white suburbanites uh, voting Democratic. And you're having more working class and downwardly mobile whites who live in the suburbs voting Republican. Uh, One of the things that this means uh, is that a lot of the old school tactics just don't work anymore. Mm. You know, for a long time, you could win the suburbs by playing to things like racial resentment. uh, And that resonated with a lot of white residents, because regardless of whether you were wealthy or middle class, you probably moved to the suburbs decades ago uh, in some way as a result of white flight. And so if you don't have that sort of commonality anymore, uh, then it's not necessarily the same salient point that it once was. And in fact, uh, what Anna said when I spoke with her is that she's seeing a lot of the racial resentment language that uh, the president has used is really backfiring. And a lot of suburban women voters are just tired of this sense of endless chaos, and they don't see President Trump as showing any real interest in or capacity for uniting people, Mm. which is what they want. Mm. So that's the big takeaway to me. And then there are all sorts of individual ways that that actually practically plays out. Yeah. So um, if you apply that lens to 2020, what should we expect from suburban women uh, in November when we when we go and vote for president? You know, right now, if the polls hold, suburban women are just overwhelmingly likely to vote for Joe Biden at this point in time. Uh, What would be interesting, and I think what you've seen from the president, is with a lot of his appeals to suburban women, I think he 
or at least his staff, have to realize that he's not going to win suburban women. But perhaps what he can do is keep the margin slightly down. Uh, and that will allow him to use his run-up margin elsewhere to potentially be more competitive. Mm -hmm. I think what you're going to see is uh, you see some real fine-tuning of messages. You've seen the president a lot talk about law and order. Mm -hmm. And it's been savvy. Uh, Joe Biden's response has been savvy in that he has changed it slightly from, instead of talking about law and order, Biden has been talking about public safety, which is a slightly different way to talk about the issue, but it gets at a similar thing. And so instead of this idea of, you know, worrying about hordes of violent people coming to the suburbs and, you know, knocking down your doors and there needing to be some sort of fortress America in the suburbs, when you talk about public safety, that enables uh, Biden to bring in ideas like keeping your family safe from coronavirus or talk about things like schools safely reopening. And all of those things, I think, have real resonance with suburban women voters. Mm. And uh, I think that that's going to drive many of their votes, that and just a general uh, frustration with Donald Trump. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We want to hear especially from women who live in the suburbs about how you're thinking through all of the issues that uh, that are framing up this presidential contest. Which candidate uh, appeals more to you? Which candidate do you think will do a better job as president uh, of the United States? And how are you making that decision as we get closer and closer uh, to that November vote date. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to work them in. Let's talk, let's uh, go to Mary in Northville. Mary, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. In spite of our gray weather today, yeah, I think we're going to have a lovely day. <laughs> right. Go ahead, Mary. Well, I'm a counselor in private practice, and I'm so glad to have an opportunity to uh, talk with you, and I've been enjoying your guests this morning. Mm -hmm. I um, like to weigh things, and what I'm coming up with is when you have a person in the White House who degrades people who are handicapped, uh, versus a person who shows great compassion for the handicapped and those who are suffering. Mm -hmm. uh, when you have a person in the White House who, in every possible way, divides even family members one from the other, divides our nation into tribes, into groups, and encourages that division, versus a man like Joe Biden, who works and has always worked toward going across the aisle, bringing uh, opposing factions together, trying to find ways to compromise and cooperate. I see um, it is almost a no-brainer choice this year, because think of the effects on our children, mm. I'm both a mother and a grandmother. Uh, we have 15 grandchildren, as a matter of fact. But think of the effects on the children when you want to have someone set an example, certainly of being human, but of having integrity. Mm. You want someone in the White House who will bring a sense of pride 
to your heart Mm -hmm. and uh, that you can talk about with your children, using that person as an example of the values you want your children to learn. Yeah. Um, When you find someone who cheats, who lies, who um, puts children into cages, I mean, there's not one thing as a counselor, as a mother, as a grandmother, I can say about Donald Trump that shows he has any modicum of integrity. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Of course, I'm voting for Joe Biden and yeah. Kamala Harris. Yeah, Mary, I, I really appreciate the call and, and the perspective there. I think that is something that I'm hearing a lot from people who are parents, not just women, uh, but, but anyone who's a parent saying, what kind of role model is the person who's in the White House now for, uh, for my kid? Uh, Zach Stanton, uh, react to what, what Mary's saying about how important that issue is, integrity. Yeah, you know, I, I think that we've seen over the course of several decades now that being a, a resonant way that a lot of politicians have appealed to voters in the suburbs. You know, it, it reminds me to some degree, and granted, the circumstances are very different, but back in 2000, when you saw George W. Bush talk about the need to restore honor and dignity to the Oval Office mm-hmm. after the Clinton administration, and that is, you know, in many ways, an appeal aimed squarely at suburban voters. I think the challenge for Democrats, and this was a challenge in 2016 too, is that you can run against the character of Donald Trump and you can run very hard against that. But unless you're finding a way to connect that with people's real lives, uh, it can sometimes fall flat. And so I think that, you know, the way that uh, the way that that was phrased and the way that that was thought through of like connecting it and seeing how the president's uh, attitude and behavior actually affects your own children or affects people in your own lives. That is the critical step for Democrats um, here if they're going to use that argument. Um, And, you know, it's one that they were not able to connect uh, in 2016, at least not connect it very well in a way that resonated in people's lives. Uh, So I would look to see if they can do that in the next, you know, seven, eight weeks or so. Hmm. Uh, Sarah Chamberlain, this mm-hmm. this question of integrity, I think, is, is really important uh, at the national level. And obviously, you've talked about that issue with regard to this president and how it's making it difficult to, to get women to vote for him. But I wonder if you can talk about how much that infects the choices that people are making at the local level. Um, So, for instance, here in the state of Michigan, we have a Senate race this year, and John James is the Republican candidate challenging Senator Gary Peters, who's a a Democrat. One of the more interesting dynamics of this campaign is watching John James try to negotiate uh, the way people feel about Donald Trump uh, in some ways wanting to get Trump supporters, of course, to vote for him. He needs those those votes. But they probably aren't enough to get uh, him over the hump versus Gary Peterson. So this idea of trying to distance from uh, Donald Trump comes up as well. I, I would imagine that with women in particular, that is that is going to be a real hurdle. It's a huge hurdle. The number one issue we find when we ask, what do you want in a president is integrity. I mean, that the women are like, we want someone who, again, as, as Mary pointed out, that our children can look up to, the grandchildren can look up to. The integrity is the number one issue. 
So we encourage all of our members, which your Senate, Republican Senate uh, candidates trying to do, is you have to have the Trump base, but then you also have to separate yourself a bit from um, Donald Trump on issues. And that's very difficult. It is extremely difficult to do. Um, But he's doing a pretty good job of that. And he's appealing a bit to the suburban women. He's not one of my members. Um, we're not. I'm not following his race closely, but I am following Fred Upton, mm-hmm. um, who is right out there as the as a congressman, mm-hmm. and I'm watching him very closely. And he, at times, is with Trump, and then at times he's very vocal against Trump. And I think that's what all candidates in uh, in areas where there's a large suburban district have to do. And it's it's tough though. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is a, a very difficult. Um, needle to thread. And we'll find out how, how well our members do uh, with this upcoming election. Mm. Uh, let's go to Kathy in Ferndale. Kathy, welcome Hello. to the show. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I guess I wonder sometimes about suburban women. First of all, I never understood how any woman on the planet could vote for Donald Trump anyhow. That was a mystery to me. But now I wonder, like, the effects of having somebody like him in office and, and how that parlays in a marriage. And maybe if the women are seeing a change in the way their husband is treating them or their marriage. You know, I mean, he's quite a bully, and it, he does give permission to a lot of men to become bullies mm. and to think that that's okay. And mm. how do you combat that? And do you know what I mean? Like, it, it would, I feel like it would resonate just that much more in a marriage, and I feel like I feel like I do feel like you could see a difference. Yeah, that's an interesting question, Kathy. Uh, Sarah Chamberlain, yeah. you're talking with uh, with women across the country. Are you hearing from them that Donald Trump's behavior, his his speech, uh, the, the things that he's done in the past, are changing the way that uh, that they're interacting with with the men in their lives? Is that is it that personal? Yes, Kathy, you're absolutely right. Um, they're finding a, a little bit of a difference with their spouses, but more they tell me they're finding a difference with their sons. The sons think that they're empowered um, to maybe treat them as their mothers, their sisters girlfriends, if they're of that age, a little bit differently. Mm. So yes, we are hearing that. Um, and the women don't like it, obviously. And uh, and that's another reason why suburban women in this country will decide who the next president is. But Kathy, you articulated that very well. And that is a huge issue out there. Mm. Wow. Um, uh, th- that's something I don't know that I've heard articulated uh, since Donald Trump has has been president and that it adds an entirely different dimension to um, to discussion of, of the election Zach Stanton I, I want to get your reaction to that yeah no I I, I share your uh, reaction to that Stephen uh, that wasn't something that I've heard articulated much but it's a really interesting and important point and you know when you look at the potential long-term effects of a Trump presidency and you know, e- even if he loses in November, it's not difficult to imagine him continuing to try and stay in the limelight in some way and, and become sort of a figurehead in movement conservatism or you know having his own TV show or, mm. or whatever it is. And so you can easily envision him continuing to play this really important political role, this important prominent role as a leader uh, on the right. And 
it may well be that the sort of changes and effects that he's had on people's personal lives and in their uh, interpersonal relationships just continues. Um, this may not be something that ends come November. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Lisa in Bloomfield. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi. 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 How are you today? Good. Um, I I just wanted to weigh in as a woman who lives in the suburbs. I have voted Republican almost my entire life. Most elections I've done that. In the last election, I voted for a third party, and I feel it was partially my fault that he won Michigan because I did that. And um, because of that, I have to vote Biden this year because I don't respect Trump at all. I think he's brought our country down on the world stage. I don't think we're respected anymore in the world as we used to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't see him as a role model for my grandchildren or my children. Uh, and so what are you going to do in the fall? I, I mean, I, I can guess, but uh, I'll leave it to you to say. I'm voting Biden because mm-hmm. um, I feel I have to do that. Although I, I'm not thrilled about either gentleman, to tell you the truth, but i um, that's where I feel I have to go because I, I can't take a chance again this year because, I, I, like I said, I think it's partially my fault that he got in. Mm, wow. Uh, Lisa, that's a that's a pretty stunning ad, ad, admission, and I think uh, there are a lot of people who count themselves in the same place, have been Republican voters for a really long time and, and maybe won't be. Uh, this time, Zach Stanton, that's good news for the Biden campaign. Um, it's terrible news, I think, for, for Donald Trump, who needs this demographic, as you point out, to not go strongly against him in November. That's absolutely right. You know, and one of the things uh, she said was that she can't take a chance this time around. And, you know, What's interesting is that this is in many ways the reverse of the sort of dynamic we typically see where the incumbent is generally the person who makes the you can't take a chance with this other person argument. Mm -hmm. And here, because Joe Biden has been in office in one form or another for so long and is such a known quantity, the idea that you can't take a chance on him just doesn't have the same punch that it would have if uh, if Bernie Sanders had been the nominee or if someone who perhaps isn't as as known a quantity on the national stage was running against Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah Chamberlain, this is exactly the kind of dynamic that we've been talking about. One of the things that strikes me about Lisa is the motivation and the determination that I think I hear in her voice. She doesn't seem terribly persuadable. Uh, at this point, which is another big problem for the president. It's a huge problem for the president, but I'm finding that all over, um, especially in the swing states so that the women are, are locking in. Um, but she articulated it well. She's not thrilled to vote for Biden. Um, and that's that's what I'm finding, is that it's not so much that Biden is winning over these women, though he is a known quantity and, and everything that we've already articulated, but they're voting against Trump. And that's very hard to get them to change their minds from doing that. So I think that Trump, in order to have a chance of winning, really has to drive up the rural voters and has to um, try to suppress the suburban vote. Mm. And and that appears to be kind of what he's trying to do. But I think suburban women are pretty much locked in at this point. And, uh, and I just, as I said, we're working on trying to get them to ticket split. Mm. 
Okay, we're going to another take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue to talk about suburban women and what they will do in the November elections. We're going to thank Sarah Chamberlain for being here with us, and we're going to keep Zach Stanton, uh, digital editor for Politico, for this conversation. If you want to call and be part of the show, be part of the conversation, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day on 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Of course, if you are listening to this show and you listen every day and you love this show, but you may not be someone who has made a contribution to WDET, this is a great time to become a first-time contributor. Local shows like Detroit Today are the most expensive service that we have here at WDET. And of course, this year, with all of the economic disruption, has put us into a real bind in terms of making our budget uh, by September 30th, which is the end of our fiscal year. We've got a significant gap to fill. And we fill that gap with listeners like you and the contributions that you make. So go to WDET.org and make your gift now and keep shows like Detroit Today and all the other programming that you love here on WDET in place and intact. Never a more important time for shows like this to exist. Okay, I am talking with Zach Stanton, the digital editor of Politico magazine, about women, suburban women, and what they'll do at the ballot box in November when we vote for president of the United States. We want to hear from you as well, especially if you are a suburban woman. What are you thinking about the things that you're seeing in the presidential contest? What are you thinking about the things that are happening in our country? And how is that influencing the way that you're going to make your vote choice in November. What are you going to do when you get into the ballot box? Suburban women, of course, are a key demographic in every election. It seems this year that uh, they are even more key. The president of the United States really needs that demographic not to vote in large numbers against him in order to win. Uh, Also, Joe Biden, the Democratic uh, challenger, uh, would love to have the support of suburban women, especially in states like Michigan, so that uh, Democrats don't lose Michigan the way they did so narrowly in 2016. As always, the number here on the phones is uh, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Lisa in Gross Point. Lisa, what's on your mind? Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Mm -hmm. I think this is a great conversation. Thank you. Um, I have a comment and a question. Mm -hmm. Um, The comment is um, Sarah Chamberlain, and I know she had to drop, made a couple of different references to the fact that all suburban women or most suburban women are voting against Donald Trump and not for Joe Biden. And that concerns me because I think there is a good amount, if not a large amount, 
of suburban women that are excited to vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and not just for not only for them, but for the team and the administration that they'll build. And I'm wondering if you have thoughts or maybe Zach Stanton has thoughts about how can we change that conversation to be more because that's where the excitement and the hope is. And I think our state really needs that. And I think the country really needs that. And so, um, yeah, that's my my comment. And I can take the answer um, offline. Yeah. Uh, Lisa, I really appreciate the call and the question. Uh, Zach Stanton, what is the answer to that? Well, I think that that's one thing that Democrats have struggled with this year is that uh, certainly the news is 24-7 Trump, uh, even when it's about other topics, it's indirectly about Trump a lot of the time. And you've seen that uh, polls have consistently shown that Democratic voters are most motivated by trying to get Donald Trump out of office. What we saw at the Democratic convention a couple of weeks ago was uh, Joe Biden's team trying to sort of pivot that message and make it so that people were more supportive of Biden than they were simply motivated by getting Donald Trump out of office. Mm -hmm. And that is a real struggle. Certainly saw numbers go up in polls in terms of the number of Democrats who were actively excited about supporting Joe Biden. But, you know, Donald Trump is really going to be the thing that motivates people Mm. in terms of how to get them, how to get more Democrats to see things as pro Biden as opposed to anti Trump. I don't know that you're going to be able to before election day, (laughs) but, uh, you know, it's it's quite possible that once I imagine what will happen is that if Biden wins and then if we go back to the sort of normal partisan war where Republicans are opposed to Joe Biden, <laughs> you'll probably have sort of a rally to the flag type effect among Democrats where suddenly everyone will be really pro Biden. And that's not to obscure, however, these really uh, important disagreements that you have among Democrats right now on all sorts of issues. But you know, I just don't see how anything is going to displace Trump uh, as being central in Democratic voters' minds. Hmm. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones. Uh, Zach, before we get to uh, at least a couple more callers, I, I want to ask you what you think if you were if you were Donald Trump, if you were uh, the person running that campaign. What would you do to alter the message at this point in a way that would be more appealing uh, to suburban women? <laughs> so I, I asked a similar question to Anna Greenberg, the mm-hmm. uh, Democratic pollster. And, you know, <laughs> her answer was, you know, one of the things that he could do is basically just admit that he made some mistakes. And that would go a long way in terms of showing humility and in terms of saying that, look, we got things wrong at the beginning, especially with the coronavirus but you know we're getting on the right track now and we are headed in a good direction on the economy to make that sort of argument but the thing is that it's really difficult to imagine Donald Trump uh admitting that he was wrong about something uh and so it it's a it, it's it's sort of puzzling to imagine them making that pivot so that is what i think i would advise i think mm-hmm. beyond that Um, what you want to do if you're Donald Trump, I think is try and make the election less about him. And again, that goes against every instinct that he has. Uh, you know, he would be in many ways, I think better off if he stayed away from, uh, TV cameras and kept off of Twitter for the next two months. Um, but that seems like that's an impossibility. Mm Um, so, you know, it is better for him if he's able to make this not a referendum on Donald Trump, if yeah. he can make this election about 
almost literally anything else. Anything else. Uh, yeah. Uh, but but you know, I, I think that that's a real struggle for him. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Liz in Dearborn. Liz, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Um, I wanted to point out that uh, I find his style, uh, um, his gaslighting, his aggression, it's really bad for America's psychological health. Hmm. It's damaging. And I worked as an educator, and I saw the difference in children's behavior. They became much more anxious. Mm-hmm and aggressive and hostile with each other. It was amazing to see the difference. It was sad and disappointing, but I was so struck by the difference in their behavior yeah. after the election. Yeah. Um, I just, he's very damaging to our mental health. I, you know, um, th- that's an interesting, it's a really interesting um uh, point of view there, the the mental health, the the damage. I think that people believe he's doing. Uh, Zach Stan, that uh, again, there's something toxic about that. If you're a candidate for re-election, uh, the, the 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 words and the language that people use to describe the effect that they think Donald Trump is having, not only on them but on the country, again, is is a hurdle that I don't know that we've seen a modern president face quite in the same way. Oh, I think that's absolutely right. Um, you know, people, I think a lot of suburban voters, and this is borne out by polls, are just tired of the sense of constant chaos of, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of never knowing what's next. And even the idea of like having to think about politics all the time, uh, which, you know, as someone who really is interested in politics, <laughs> I don't mind so much. But uh, I, I know that a lot of people would prefer not to have to think constantly about the president and wondering what he's tweeting and everything of that sort. And, you know, I, I, again, I don't see how any of that changes in the next couple months. But what you're seeing is, particularly at a time of, you know, not being certain about what the president's going to do next. And then when you pile on top of that, the pandemic, where everything is sort of uncertain, you know, people don't know when life is going to get back to normal. We don't know when there's going to be a vaccine. Mm-hmm. We don't know what school looks like. You, know, you just have so much uncertainty. And that I know from talking with other experts uh, is really contributing to a rise in the belief in conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously has political ramifications as well. Mm-hmm. So it remains to be seen how all of that plays out, both in the long term and the short term. But, uh, you know, I, I think that the caller is right about there being um, some some very real lived problems with it. Yeah. Okay, Zach Stanton, digital editor of Political Magazine. Thanks very much for joining us for Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. It's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow for a conversation with the new artistic director of the Michigan Opera. Plus, we're going to take a look at a new community and police partnership advocacy program. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.